Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we come into your house this morning seeking you, Lord, opening our ears that we might hear, guide our thoughts, open our hearts, Lord, that we might hear you in a powerful way this morning. Lord, that we might walk away with a new insight, challenged by your word. Build us up, encourage us, show us the way. In your name we pray. Amen. I was telling Connie this morning, you know, if I didn't remember, if I could write down a note and for an announcement, I'd still forget it. And I did. <laughs> um, but I do want to make mention that uh, uh, Amanda and Jeremy, uh, had a, uh, that's, of course, Emily and Eric, uh, Sonny, I know they're not near old enough to have a grandchild, but they're pretty proud grandparents. Uh, um, they, uh, Amanda had a, uh, Arabella Renee on September 12th, 7 pounds, 7 ounces, 7.59. I think I got it all right. <laughs> um, but if you would uh, encourage them, keep them in prayer, as uh, that's a big transition, obviously. Um, but, uh, and, and encourage uh, Emily and Eric as uh, an opportunity. Pretty neat, uh, neat to see her in, uh, in the hospital. So um, I want to share with you this morning, uh, we're looking at a passage in 1 Kings. And the uh, passage talks about a guy named Solomon. King Solomon, the smartest guy to ever live. And you would think that the smartest guy to ever live would always make the best decisions. And yet we'll see this morning that sometimes being the smartest guy doesn't help you make the best decisions. I pray this morning as we look at this passage, you know, there are some passages in Scripture that say, do this, and you're supposed to follow, right? And those are easy because we see them, we're like, okay, yeah, I know I'm supposed to follow this. And then there are some stories and some passages in Scripture that are, should have like a circle with a line through them, right? Don't do this. <laughs> and that's where we're at this morning. But I, I think it has just as much importance to our life. And I, I pray that uh, as you listen to that this morning, that you will hear that. First uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were all from nations from which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts from their gods or towards their gods, I'm sorry. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtora, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for the Chemos the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives, 
who burned incense and offered sacrifice to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because he spent, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden, had, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to all your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of your hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. That was almost bad, Kenny. You almost got that whole thing. <laughs> it slipped out of my finger. That's okay. I'll give it back. Thank you. <laughs> But my papers would have been all shuffled. You know, for Solomon, it looked really good on the outside. All the temples he had, all the property he owned, everything his heart desired. Socially, economically, no one had ever matched the prowess of Solomon. He's pretty good. He had figured it out, he had figured out how to succeed. And from the outside, Solomon had it all. At least is the way the world saw it. See, he had his fingers tightly wrapped around the things they thought were important. His grip was strangling those things. They thought might make his life happy. Things that would satisfy him. Things that would fulfill him. Things. And you know what? The more he got, the tighter he gripped it. He gripped it so tight that he looked away from God. Sure, he would tell you that I just had those wives. That's what the scripture we're, listening, that we're looking at this morning talks about. I had those wives as political chess pieces, right? If I take the enemy's daughter into my camp, the enemy's not going to kill his own daughter. And so if I took 700 into my camp, that's 700 enemies I don't have anymore. Pretty intelligent idea, huh? That's a lot of Kenny, we're not going to go there here. <laughs> I, have, I have said a few things about that. I, I, I always thought one was enough for me, but <laughs> one was hard enough to keep happy. That's what, that's what I was always, always made fun of. So, Kenny, don't be getting me in trouble. <laughs> I'll be, sleeping, I'll be sleeping on Kenny's porch tonight. <laughs> I am now in trouble. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> I knew I didn't want to do this scripture. No. <laughs> I asked myself as I read this scripture, how can the smartest guy in the whole wide world make such a big mistake? He knew exactly what God told him to do. Don't get near those women. Stay away. They will turn your heart from me. And the smartest guy in the world made that mistake. How does he do that? Ask yourself that question. How does that happen? How does the smartest guy in the world make that terrible decision? 
Something we can learn from the smartest guy in the world today. See, he knew. He knew what those idols were. He knew that God said, listen, I want you to stay away from those foreign gods because they are idols and they will turn you from me. He said, listen, you did, you remember that Ten Commandment, right? The commandment that says don't make an idol. Don't put anything in front of me. And yet Solomon found a way to do that. See, he was able to justify it, right? He justified it by, well, it's just a political thing. It's just a political dealing. I'm just, ta- I'm just trying to take care of the people that I'm responsible for. And the more people that I have and the more stuff that I have, the easier it would be to say, I'm just trying to continue to protect. Can you see the slippery slope? I just, I, I just got to gotta take care of these. And I have a good reason for the behaviors I'm making. I can justify my decision. I know that I have a tight grip on those things. And yet, I'm not willing to loosen that grip, knowing full well that God has a plan. And then I hope, if you're like me, I I think sometimes I just preach these sermons for me because I feel like that's what God's speaking this to me. So if you guys get to hear it, great. But if I was the only person here, that's fine too. Why do I make stupid decisions like Solomon? Why do I make bad choices like Solomon? Knowing full well that those choices will will hurt my relationship with God. Yeah, I make those same decisions and I got good reasons. Just ask me, right? Doesn't take me very long to give you to justify something that I did that it wasn't right. I can justify it pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in the room who can do that. I'm good at that. Bad decision? Okay, I'll justify it. Another bad decision? Oh, yeah, I'll justify that one too. That's just who I am, God. It's just who I am. What can we learn from Solomon? What can we learn from this passage this morning? See, I'm challenged by this passage because it just doesn't add up to me. Solomon, Solomon was a wise guy. And not in the way that I'm a wise guy. (laughs) Solomon had looked at all the pieces. Solomon had put all the things together, and he still made a bad decision. That doesn't bode well for me, does it? Or you. And so this passage, it it reminds me that there there are warnings that we better heed when we read a scripture like this. Because it alters our life. And the first one is make careful choices. Do you realize that as we went through that whole scripture, there was only one bad decision in that whole thing? Well, we might say, well, no way, there were 700 bad decisions. No, there was one bad decision. One bad decision. He followed his own intuition over God. That's the only decision that was wrong. That led him to all the other bad decisions that he made. But he made one bad decision. I'm going to lean on myself a little bit and see if what I think is more important, what is better, is better than what God has. 
Maybe I should turn it on. <laughs> Turning it on is the key. <laughs> green means go, kids. Green means go. Sorry. I have trouble with the red and the green. Yeah. You know, we all have a ton of thoughts that run through our mind any given day. At least I do. I don't, maybe I'm the only one. And I'll tell you this. Some of the thoughts that run through my head would scare you. Because some of the thoughts that run through my head scare me. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you're in the same boat. There are a lot of things that go through your mind. You would never tell anyone what goes through your mind. You know, when you're a kid, sometimes those thoughts spill right into actions. I don't know about you. I think as we get a little older, we get a little more discernment, I hope. Some of us less than others, me less than others. But I can remember being a kid thinking that I could get away with just about anything. And I had learned pretty quickly that I could sneak things. I would, you, could, you could walk by your parents, and as long as you looked like you were doing nothing wrong, you could just put that cookie along your side. or in your, Who puts a, cookie, a chocolate chip cookie in your pocket? Right? I can do this thinking that this is a good idea. That thought came to my mind. I wanted the cookie. I put it in my pocket. Let me give you another example. I, and, I, and I warn you that if you're in, still in school, please don't try this at home or at school. <laughs> Back in my smarter days, <laughs> I sat in, in Harbor Creek High School and I sat in a, in a group of troubled teenagers. <laughs> I understand troubled teenagers. I was one of them and some days I am one of them. So as we're sitting there with my friends, <laughs> someone thinks this is a great idea. Gee, we finished the milk carton. We could either throw the milk carton in the garbage. That'd be a great idea. Or, now you've got to understand, in Harbor Creek they had these like, low areas, and then there was this huge area, and it was low again. So we sat in the low area, but, but it was probably 15 to 16 feet high in the middle. Boy, you could really launch a, a milk carton pretty far. The key was, though, there was an office, or a... Uh, cafeteria monitor. You know how that works, right? So you had to be very careful when you chuck the milk carton. Somebody, yeah, exactly. So, why would you even do this? Well, I don't know. But somebody dared me. Like, bet you can't hit the other side with the milk carton. Hmm, bet I can. <laughs> okay, so you're sitting. And remember, you have to throw it sitting down because you can't make it. Because as soon as it goes, the, somebody's going to see it and you just want to be like... <laughs> course. Chuck that milk carton. Hits somebody, you know, bounces around. Of course, they know where it came from. Obviously, the trajectory <laughs> leads right back to that table. <laughs> so after a couple of those, uh, the cafeteria ma- uh, monitor, she figured out that that was a, um, not a good thing. And she said, all right, boys, you think you're so smart? Which one of you did it? I'm not admitting anything, right? <laughs> Whoop, sorry. I'm, yeah, and uh, so she says, okay, if you're not going to admit it, you're not going to tell the story, you're not going to tell me who did it, you're all going to the office. Y'all been, you ever been to the office? Come on. <laughs> yeah, most, yeah, <laughs> I know, you guys are all good. I'm, I'm the only one that's ever been to the office. Uh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so she says, guess what, boys, you're all going to go to the office, and you can meet with the principal, and he'll figure out who did it. So we get in the office, there's like six or eight of us. We're all sitting there, and the principal's like, all right, boys, this is pretty dumb. It's about time you uh, tell me what happened. 
And of course, you know how that works, right? Nobody knows what happens. <laughs> Principal says, okay, I know one of you guys threw it. It's okay, rat out your buddy. <laughs> I re- and he, then he says, I realize that one of you guys is bigger than the rest. And if that guy were to have thrown it, they, he might beat you up if you tell on him. Nobody tells. <laughs> Long story short, guess where we ended up? I ate lunch in the ISS room for, I don't know, months. <laughs> because nobody would rat me out. And I wasn't smart enough to figure out that that thought was something I probably shouldn't have done. That thought that went through my mind to chuck that milk carton was not a good thought. Terrible thought. Terrible idea. Why would I even do that? This is the same person who broke a tray over their head. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you're really wondering why you put... No, I don't think so. I don't remember getting caught for that one. (laughs) Don't try this at home, kids. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I got other stories, but we don't have time for that today. (laughs) There are a lot of thoughts that go through our minds. A lot of thoughts that go through our minds any given day. And Scripture reminds us that we need to take them captive. We need to take the thoughts that run through our mind and take them captive. There are so many thoughts. If we were able, I don't think that we could write them down fast enough because they, they flow through our brain so quickly. Paul says, take those captive. Take your thoughts captive. Be obedient. Be obedient to God. See, if we're honest, we all have idols. We all have things in our lives that jump in front of God in our relationship with him. Some things are more open and people see them. Some things are more closed. No one knows but you. But the reality is we have those pieces in our life. And see, God doesn't leave us just hanging. He sends his spirit. It says in Acts that he'll, he'll send, he sent a spirit to the believers that they might be able to make better decisions, that we might have someone to deal with, to help us with making those decisions. See, because I think in our minds, we think that God is so busy, because there's what, eight, seven billion people? God is so busy with everybody else that I can make a marginal decision, and nobody's going to catch it. God, he might, God might miss this one. I might be able to sneak it past, just like when I was a kid. I might be able to sneak that milk carton right out into the center, and nobody's ever going to know. And we do that with our relationship with God. We think, no one's going to hear this. No one's going to remember that thought. No one even knows my thoughts. And I can get them past God. I bet you're saying, what the heck does that have to do with anything? I used to have a friend. I still, I still have a friend. <laughs> I used to have a friend, but then I lost. No. <laughs> and I got one more. No. I used to have a friend that says, you can't, you might not be able to keep a bird from landing on your head, but you sure as heck can keep them from building a nest there. And I want you to think about thoughts just for a moment. There are thoughts that run through our minds that are not good thoughts. But we don't have to 
act on those. We don't have to sit around and think about those long enough that we might act on. We don't have to allow that bird to build a nest in our minds. I want you to think about that. The second thing that uh, this passage reminds me is that the choices we make chart courses in our life. It says, as Solomon grew old, this is verse, uh, I think it's verse 4. So as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and he was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say Solomon turned away from God, does it? It doesn't say that at all. It says that he was not fully devoted to God. So rather than having one path, there were lots more choices. He was torn. He was torn between the decisions and who he was going to follow and what God he was going to chase after. You may remember in Revelation where it talks about being lukewarm. When I show you that picture, you know full well that that's a nice ice-cold glass of water, don't you? You can tell. Condensation's running off of it. You've, you've been out working on something, you're all sweaty, that's a nice cup of water. You know what the worst glass of water is? No. Because lots of people drink hot water. They drink hot coffee. They drink tea. Contaminated? Well, that would be bad too. <laughs> How about contaminated lukewarm water? <laughs> lukewarm water. Have you ever tasted lukewarm water? It's awful. A couple weeks ago, I was with my cousin, and he had a, a bucket, and he had, in the bottom of the bucket was a, 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 can, or a bottle of water. And he had thrown it in there the day before, and it was just in the bottom, and we were out putting up a few tree stands, and it was really hot, humid, you know, it was really sticky. And he grabbed that bottle, and he's like, here, you want some? And I took a swig, and it was like, ugh, and I, 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 I did this, right? Got my mouth wet, and then I spit it out. Blech! I thought, I'll wait till I can get a glass of cold water. God says, you know, that's the kind of person that I want following after me. I'll spit you out because you're lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. That's in Revelations chapter 3. You see, I don't think Solomon ever intended from the very beginning to worship other gods. I don't, I don't think that was his intent at all. His first intent was to do, make a political move, have this wife, things will be good. There's a lot of responsibility here. I have a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, and I know God has a plan, but this makes more sense. And yet, he made a bad decision, he made a bad choice, and it course, the course that it went down was a whole lot worse. I, I apologize if this illustration offends you, but to me this is, a, this is an illustration that comes to mind when I think about making a bad decision. This is a guy that I, I'm sure you know who it is, Joe Paterno, that I, respect, I respected more maybe, but um, as a coach you couldn't ask for a more upstanding, solid guy, made sure his kids graduated. Um, what, 50-some years of coaching, that to me is just an, is absolutely... Um, crazy to even think about. But 
he made one poor decision. One poor decision that charted the course of his life uh, and really turned um, something good to something awful. And every time I think about decisions that I make in my life and what they will look like at the end or what the course might look like from beginning to end, I can't help but think about Joe Paterno. This man lived his life, at least on the outside, uh, very solid. And yet he made one bad choice. And I just saw it yesterday that they're still fighting over trying to reestablish his dignity. Uh, he's now since passed. Um, reestablishing the dignity of the coach. In fact, at one point, they took away all his wins or a chunk of his wins. I mean, it was, I don't think they, they didn't take him all away. They took a chunk enough that took him from being the winningest college coach down uh, to like number two or three. And I can't help but think of the, the course that was charted with one bad decision. And you, and you may say, well, it wasn't his whole decision. I, I get you. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to mince words or to, um, to argue over the, what did happen, what could have happened, what should have happened. I, I don't want um, to go there. I just want to think about it from the outside and say, boy, I bet Joe would have made a different decision had he really thought through all of what would happen. One bad choice charted that course. Solomon's life, one bad choice, charted the course. In our own life, one bad choice. That's the warning in this this morning. One bad choice can chart the course. We need to be very careful about the choices that we're making. Finally, some of the choices, sometimes choices can cost us. Now, if you, if you read through Scripture, you, you quickly find out that not every choice has a, uh, a consequence, at least in the timing that we would like, right? We see Job, who God said was a good man, and bad things happened to him. We see Paul, who killed people for, the, for their belief in Christianity early in his days, and yet God used him in a powerful way. So one plus one doesn't always add up in Scripture. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. So we can't add up, you did this wrong, you, this will happen. They don't always equal. I know some of us would like it to be that way, right? Some of us would like it to be that way. But what we can take from this is that those, there are things that can cost us for the decisions that we make. I want to remind you that your time on this earth is limited. I don't know what you thought of the, the countdown timer. I like the countdown timer because it reminds me what's important. Because I quickly can be that first half of the video. Money, greed, time, uh, media, you name it. Relationships, whatever it is. Put, just put your, you can put your, uh, your, your struggle right in there. Why are you here on this earth, right? That's the question. Why am I here? My time is limited, but what does God have for me here? You know, Solomon did come around. I don't know if you know, but he got a whole book in Scripture. 
Solomon's journal, I like to call it, or Ecclesiastes. It's a pretty depressing read if you read it for the most part because, and I'll tell you why, because he spends 14 chapters all but the last two verses talking about all the things he tried to fulfill his life. All the stuff he plugged in to fulfill his life. And if you know much about Ecclesiastes, it's meaningless, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, he says. It wasn't worth anything. It was all stuff. He gets to the last two verses. Now we're talking about 14 chapters. He gets to the last two verses. Here's the conclusion of the story, is what he says. Here's the conclusion. Here's what I found. I did an experiment. My whole life has been an experiment. And here's the conclusion. Let me tell you what I found. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's just that simple. 700 wives, 300 concubines, more stuff than uh, anybody could ever even imagine. And he pairs it down to one line. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's it. And why do we struggle with making that choice? I want to share with you. Uh, three weeks ago, I had a chance to go to West Virginia. I think it was three weeks. I don't know. I think it was, anyway, I, you may remember back in June, uh, there was a flood in Rennell, West Virginia. Pretty interesting uh, situation. It was sunny. The sun was out. It was a beautiful day in Rennell. Rennell happens to be in the floodplain of a whole lot of other places, up the mountain. They happened to be in this very narrow crevice. The sun was actually shining when the flood started. I found that intriguing because I was like, what? What do you mean? It's not, it, was, it didn't rain that day? No, it didn't rain there that day. It rained up the mountain. They're just hanging out, enjoying a nice sunny day. And here comes the water. Now, literally, Rennell is in between. There's two, two, uh, body, two creeks that run uh, in this long, narrow strip. And when you go down, you're going down and down and down and down and down and down and down. And down. It's, it's a long haul. This was, uh, whoops, I lost the picture. That's right. Um, but Rennell had, where we were working, had six feet of water in the town. Six feet of water in the town. This is a town, there's a coal mining town. They've shut down a lot of the coal mines in that area. They're a very depressed area, not much money, not much stuff going on. We went down, it was amazing, no codes. There is no code to replacing things. Um, the house that we repaired was a, an 83-year-old lady's house and she just wanted to get back in. The, uh, the receptacles, I've never seen this before, maybe you have. The receptacles came out of the corner of the floor into a, on a long box and they just laid on the ground. They were covered on the back side, but, but, and, and that, that was normal. That was the norm. I mean, we're not talking about a, a place with a whole lot of money. But we went down there to, put, to help put people's lives back together, as I like to say. To help people begin to find hope in the midst of an absolute mess. Nine weeks later, there were still piles. There were still probably eight out of ten houses as we walked down the street had not been touched. Doors open, windows open, nobody home. The church, First Baptist of Rennell, had five feet of water in it. 
five feet of water. The whole basement, they were on a, the whole bottom floor. Gone. Had to be redone. Was in the process of being redone as we were there. And they were leading, they were leading the rebuild. I tell you the story and the rest of the story because what I learned there was that I had quite the grip on some things in my life that I just need to let go. See, there were people there with nothing. Everything they owned was gone. Everything they owned had been underwater. Nothing left. Nothing. Starting out at ground zero. And I just want you to think for a moment if that's where you, if you, where you had to start tomorrow, what that might feel like or be like. We had spent all week dry, uh, doing drywall and painting, doing some projects, that kind of stuff. Thursday night, we were going to the only restaurant that happened to be on the side of the hill, the only local restaurant that survived, quite honestly. And it was up on the hillside, and it, and it was spared. It got some damage, but not much. And so we had a waitress, and uh, I grabbed the bill that night to pay for the dinner and didn't think much about it, just grabbed the bill. It was Thursday night. It had been a long week. We had one more day. We were going to head home. Uh, the next uh, afternoon, finish up the paint project and um, get ourselves back to Erie. And she had been a great, great waitress, nice lady, very cordial, done, you know, just a sweet lady. And uh, got there and I went to pay the bill and they hand you that, the thing to punch in and what you want to give the tip. So I gave the tip and I didn't really think much. It was, I didn't think much about it, you know, just, just doing what I do. Just doing my thing. Not really even thinking about it. Thinking, boy, I would like to get home tomorrow. <laughs> and she said, thank you. You don't know how much this means. And I, th- I was like, wait, back to reality, right? I'm back. Okay, now I'm standing in front of this lady who's filling me out, who's uh, filling out the, um, do- punching out the numbers. And at that moment, she begins to just share just a moment of her life, which I didn't ask for. <laughs> I just said, uh, and she said, thank you for this uh, tip. It was very encouraging. And that, that began this conversation that lasted probably no more than two minutes, but in two minutes or less, she spilled her heart out. She said, you don't understand what this means. She said, this is my second job, and I'm, I'm an RN during the day. I waitress at night. And the reason I do that is because my sister lost her place. I lost my place. My mom lost her place. My grandma lost her place. All four of our families are living on the mountain. We're up renting a place all together up on the mountain, trying to rebuild our lives. She didn't cry. I don't know that she had any more emotions left in her. Nine weeks into it, the reality you could see in her face. And... uh, as I stood there, I said, Ugh, what can I do, right? That's what I thought. I said, what's your name? She said, Tracy. And I said, Tracy, I'll pray for you. And I'll continue to pray for you. Because I had such a grip on the things that didn't matter at all. And she found out in a very difficult way that the things of life, the things that she held tight to, didn't really matter. 
didn't really matter. And boy, was I challenged by that. Because I got to come home. I came home to my stuff, right? I spent a whole week away from my dog. You think that's silly, but we have a pretty close relationship. He loves me. I don't know. <laughs> All my stuff. Solomon remembers. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Don't hold tight to those things in life that don't matter. I want to share this last picture. Dan Schumach and I were driving down this alley, just literally this alley. And Dan stopped and he says, you got to take a picture of that. I'm like, what is it? He's like, that's a pretty powerful picture. There's a, I know it's hard to tell. It's hard to see. It's a life preserver. And it was hung up, obviously, by someone. It was hung up on the side of the wall, probably about six, or seven, probably about six feet up. Someone had used that preserver to, to survive the floods. Someone had put that, that life preserver on so they didn't drown in the midst of the flooding. And all I could think of was, that is our Jesus, our life preserver. That is our Jesus, that preserver in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the floods, in the midst of all the things that go on around us. Jesus is our life preserver. If you don't have a relationship with him this morning, or you need to get rid of some stuff, don't leave without doing that. There's an altar right here. There's an opportunity to come and to seek God, to lay those, the stuff at the altar. To lay your heart, that's what he wants. That's what he wants more than anything. Don't leave without making that option. That a reality in your own life. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for the reminder this morning how great and powerful you are. Lord, a reminder of the choices that we make in this life that we live and the consequences that they can have. Lord, I would ask that you would chart the course of our own lives in the direction that you would have them to go. Lord, that we would hold tight to you in the dark and the difficult times. That, we, Lord, we would be reminded how great and powerful you are. And, Lord, that your decisions, your direction, is the way you would have us to go. Encourage us, Lord, as we learn to follow you in powerful ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.